Hello and welcome to another episode of the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm your host, Dave Hellman. I had such a funnier, better intro all planned out and ready to go, but I fumbled it away. That's that's where my brain's at coming out of Thursday night football and into week two, a a wild, wacky, very fun game in Philadelphia leading us off here for our week two preview episode. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the Minnesota Vikings 34 to 28. We'll get into it. But as I alluded to Minnesota, hold on to the football guys Four fumbles on the night lost all four of them can't help but feel like we would be discussing a much different football game with a little bit better ball security from the guys in purple but not to take credit away from the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles a lot to talk about with the defending NFC champs who open their home schedule with a win a win honestly it, this is this is a perfect example of a beauty is in the eye of the beholder type of game. Cause if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you say, well, we got the run game going. Uh, we were opportunistic on defense. We managed to flex our muscles a little bit and put a game that had become in doubt away. Deandre Swift looks exactly like the guy the Eagles traded for on draft weekend. When that trade happened, this is what you were imagining. DeAndre Swift, the former Lions running back, 28 carries, 175 yards, buoyed by a 43-yard gain in the fourth quarter that really kind of decided the outcome of this. Adds a touchdown for good measure. That's, if I'm an Eagles fan, again, if I'm, you see the ups and the downs. Like, once again, the Eagles allow a lot of points. Once again, they allow a 300-yard uh, passer. It's two straight weeks. Mac Jones also had 300 yards. Kirk Cousins finishes with 364 and four touchdowns tonight. There's a lot to be nervous about. There's a lot to say, ooh, I'm not sure. I like the way our defense is playing with all these young guys in the, on the back end. We talked on the preview episode for this game about rookies and young players stepping in at linebacker, at defensive tackle, at safety. James Bradbury didn't play in this game with a concussion. Kind of looked like it, right? Your offensive line doesn't look quite as mighty in pass protection as we got used to. Jalen Hurts sacked four times in this game, but, 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 but. If I'm the Eagles, I look at this and I say, even if we're only hitting our B game in these first two games, we're not clicking on all cylinders and we're 2-0. Can't say enough about running the ball 48 times, 200, uh, 48 times for 259 yards, three touchdowns. Jalen Hurts gets a couple of scores with a couple of those tush push sneaks that Philly is so famous for. I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that again, you know, we, we say this cliche every year, they said it on the broadcast tonight. This is a different team. This isn't 2022. All of the, the credit that you get for being in a super bowl goes away. And even with all the mistakes that you saw from Philly and maybe failing to capitalize on things, only winning a game by six points when you're plus three in turnover differential, it's awfully encouraging that Minnesota can cut the lead to 27 to 21 with seven and some change, eight and some change to play in the fourth quarter. And what does Philly do? They go right down the field and reestablish control of this game. The Eagles had punted twice in a row. This is an ample opportunity for an, uh, for an unpoised team to fall apart, potentially give the game away. The Eagles go 75 yards in eight plays. 
They chew three and a half minutes off the clock in the fourth quarter. And again, DeAndre Swift really kind of announces himself as a major contributor on this drive in particular. They gave him the ball seven times on this game deciding drive. Again, they only ran, they only ran eight plays. He got the ball seven times for 63 yards, including the big 43 yarder. I'm curious to see what happens when Kenny Gainwell comes back from this rib injury. Again, there, there will be better fronts than Minnesota's. Let's not hype them up to be uh, this, this mauling defensive front, but 259 yards on the ground is 259 yards on the ground and 175 yard days don't come around very often. So I think you've, you found the weapon you were hoping for in Deandre Swift uh, on the flip side of this, man, what a, what a frustrating start to the season for the Minnesota Vikings. This is potentially two games that you can say, we let this get away a little, a little more obvious in week one. Like they, they badly outplayed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week one. They lose by three points and a minus three turnover differential is really the main culprit in that game. Two of those turnovers happening in the red zone. Again, I, I don't want to take too much credit away from the Eagles because this is a very talented roster and the Eagles did score 34 points, but again, four turnovers by the Vikings dropped passes everywhere, muffing punts, running backs, fumbling the big one, which, which we should probably spend a couple minutes on is, is the Justin Jefferson fumble that really swung this game toward the tail end of the first half. That's I, I love these, these situational football swings where the Vikings drive to the Philadelphia 31 yard line with less than a minute to play. It's 10 to seven, a little bit of a low scoring half. Again, Philly's offense, they found their rhythm by leaning on the run in the second half and toward the end of the first half. But in the early going, they were trying to wing this thing around. And with the exception of a couple long completions to Devonte Smith just wasn't going. That's how it winds up being 10, seven, the Vikings drive to the 31 yard line. Kirk Cousins finds Justin Jefferson for 30 yards and he's ah, he's reaching for the pylon, loses the ball, goes out of the corner of the end zone and all of a sudden a gain that would have put the Vikings on the goal line with a chance to take a 14-10 lead turns into a fumble. If it goes through the end zone, it goes over to the other offense. Eagles get the ball, they drive for a field goal. At halftime it's 13-7 Philly instead of 14 to 10 Minnesota. Is it really worth getting upset about the rule? I do think it's one of the dumber rules in football, but the rule is on the books. That's what it says. It's been that way forever. It's probably been that way since leather helmets. I don't think the league has any intention of changing it now because we see this at least once every couple of years. I think it's a harsh penalty considering that fumbling the ball out of bounds anywhere else is fine. And, and you don't get penalized that harshly. It seems weird that, you know, the Vikings were able to march downfield in a situational moment with very little time to play highly competent offense. They get all the way down to the goal line and you penalize them that harshly. Like, sure. If you want to back them up to the 25 yard line, because it went through the end zone, I can live with that. Taking the ball away from them because fumbling right there is magically different from fumbling out of bounds on the other 98 yards of the field. It doesn't sit right with me. Like I said, it's not going to change the rule and it's only week two. So what's the point? Yeah. Like the rules committee doesn't meet in September. That's not how this works. So it is what it is. Take Ketter, take Ketter bear, take better care 
of the football Vikings. Cause again, seven turnovers in two weeks, three against Tampa, four against Philadelphia, you're minus six in turnover differential. I mean, I don't need to listen to Kevin O'Connell Vikings head coach after the game to know that that is the, that's the starting point. You you're not going to win a game losing turnover differential by, by multiple every single week. But I mean, there's, there's stuff to like about this. I thought all things considered again, going back to the preview, I was worried the Vikings would even give Kirk cousins time to throw and the Vikings problems on the offensive line. Garrett Bradbury missed this game with a back injury. They definitely showed up. Kirk cousins gets strip sack at the outset of the third quarter. Philly recovers. Josh Sweat with the big sack. They score two plays later. That kind of set the stage. The Vikings were playing catch up for the entire first half or second half, excuse me, because their offensive line couldn't keep Kirk Cousins clean. But by and large, it didn't get in the way of them having a highly functional offense. Again, Kirk, 364 for four tutties, 125.6 quarterback rating. Like, please forever ignore anyone from here on out if they bring up Kirk cousins in prime time because of this game, like the guy balled, he definitely balled Justin Jefferson. Again, 11 for 159. He's over 300 yards, two games into the season. I do not understand why the Vikings didn't extend him. I like my man's going to be able to ask for like 35 million a year when this season's over and it's going to be warranted. Jordan Addison, second long touchdown in as many games. It looks like they found a playmaker there. And we'll say, yes. I mean, the running game in the offensive line is an issue. If you're the Vikings, this is another game where they really couldn't get anything going. Alexander Madison struggled all night, had a fumble. Maybe hindsight is 2020, but maybe we should have been asking more questions about why the Vikings didn't think they needed running back help after letting go of Dalvin cook. Like maybe this is a situation where the Vikings want to call a Leonard Fournette or, or one of those other veteran running backs who's waiting for, for a job offer. Maybe that's premature, but I don't know, man, 28 rushing yards. There's a lot to like about the Vikings offense. Balance is not one of them. You don't have to be as run dominant as the Eagles are, but, but some semblance of balance would be nice. So again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. If you're an Eagles fan, mad about the way this turned out, mad about the fact that this team has yet to truly look good through two weeks. I get it. If you're an Eagles fan that says, Hey, we're playing our B game right now. And we're two and O we've got a long time to get this figured out. I also think that's great. Vikings fans. Yes, absolutely. Be furious about seven turnovers in two games. But I look at this and I say, we're a pretty good team. And I, I I'm not going to tell you that the Vikings defense is anything to get excited about, but this is one of the better offenses you'll play. I like where the Vikings can be if they can hold on to the football. It doesn't get any easier for them next week with, with the chargers. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I'm looking at the Viking schedule right now. The chiefs are on the horizon as well. Yeah. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. This is going to be, this is going to be a tough one to dig out of with some of the teams that are ahead of you on the schedule, but I love the Vikings offense. I love what Jordan Addison brings to this as a big play threat opposite Justin Jefferson. I love the way Kevin O'Connell schemes Justin Jefferson open regularly, even though he is the guy that is circled on every opposing game plan. Doesn't seem to matter. Can't believe I haven't mentioned TJ Hawkinson's name to this point. So he, there's a lot to like here other than 
you can't hold on to the football and now you're in an O2 hole with a seemingly very tough schedule. So have fun with that Vikings Eagles. Again, I choose to be encouraged by playing middling football and still finding ways to win games. Your young players look very impressive. I thought Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, again, continued to flash and give you reasons why you should be excited about that duo in the middle of your defensive line. And ironically, the football gods, nobody said they were fair, guys. The Eagles followed this up with Tampa Bay, Washington, and L.A., and the newly Aaron Rodgers-less New York Jets. Like, they now have a runway uh, to put some wins together. So, yeah, if I'm an Eagles fan, maybe you're frustrated because it doesn't look quite as dominant yet as it did last year, but I have a feeling you're going to be A-OK. -okay. More importantly, from my perspective, this was a very fun way to get week two started. The season opener, the, the Thursday night opener with the Chiefs and the Lions, cool that the Lions won, not an overly entertaining game. This had a little bit of everything. Eagles come out 2-0, and moving on. We've got a jam-packed schedule starting with one that I don't think I would have circled uh, before the season started. This, this, I mean, depending on how week one went, these are two teams uh, that, that are in a little bit of a rebuild, not really sure what to expect, breaking in new quarterbacks. I'm talking about the Packers and the Falcons, Jordan Love and Desmond Ritter. And now here we are, and I can't wait to see more of what the Green Bay Packers have to offer. I can't wait to see more of Matt LaFleur's plan for Jordan Love and this Packer defense playing much, much more aggressively, maybe taking advantage of a younger quarterback in Desmond Ritter the way that they did against Justin Fields last week. I can't wait to see if Arthur Smith can get all of his freaky weapons involved a little bit more on offense. The running game looks great. The passing game, you would love to see Drake London and Kyle Pitts get a little more involved. And I'm not just saying that for fantasy football purposes. This all of a sudden is a game that I'm very, very excited to watch. And I don't think I would have said that two or three weeks ago. So to break it all down, who better to talk to than one of the guys that's on the call? I had a chance to sit down with Fox Sports' own Jonathan Vilma. We wrapped a little Packers Falcons. Check it out. I'm joined now by NFL on Fox analyst Jonathan Vilma with the call of Packers at Falcons this Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. out here on the West Coast. Jonathan, I, I love this time of year, man, because after eight months of, of prep and speculation, we've got a game to go off of. And all of a sudden, this is a matchup of two undefeated teams jumping into it. You know, I, I knew Jordan Love played well. The box score looked good. But here we are previewing week two. And I, I realized he had the highest passer rating in the NFL for week one. I'm curious, getting ready for this matchup, what you saw that was impressive from Jordan Love in his uh, debut this year against the Bears. You know, the most impressive part was Jordan Love's patience. Uh, you can tell that he really studied and learned under Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, a lot of new quarterbacks, I don't want to just say young quarterbacks, new quarterbacks that get into the game, as soon as the pocket starts to break down a little bit, bam, you know, they start running the football and all of a sudden, you know, they got, you know, 60 yards rushing, but they kind of missed a few big plays that had they sat in the pocket, it would have been a great opportunity. And his first touchdown, uh, that was a great example down there in the red zone. He sat, he sat, he waited for Dobbs to finally get open. And, you know, the play takes a little bit to develop. And he had the patience. He had the accuracy. He had the anticipation. So stuff, <clears throat> plays like that tell me that 
you know, he's really learned and he's matured. He's been on the bench, but that whole time he was studying and getting ready for this moment. So I know we always say not to overreact to week one, but what the hell? Why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if Jordan Love can play like that, I mean, we've been saying all offseason, this is not a bad Packers roster. If that's what Jordan Love is capable of, does that for you uh, change your expectation of what this team can do in 2023? Not yet. Uh, I need to see Jordan Love have to come from behind. I need to see Jordan Love get sacked a few times early in the game and then still pull out a victory. You know, I need to see the the essence of what I'm getting at is I need to see Jordan Love face adversity and then see how he responds, uh, lose a couple games. Let's see how he reacts with the media all on him. Right. That's what I want to see that when I had Drew Brees, right, Drew Brees, he would throw five interceptions rarely, but he would throw five interceptions in one game and then come right back and throw five touchdowns the next game. And he was the same guy, same interview, same preparation everything and that's when you know that you've arrived right once you face adversity you handle it not only do you handle it you plow right through it you have some awesome games afterwards that's when you know that he's going to be the real deal so i'm waiting to see that jordan love come out so i figure we got a pro bowl linebacker on the show i should ask some some linebacker questions what better team to be talking about uh, with the Atlanta Falcons, obviously, Bijan Robinson gets the headlines, uh, but they've got quite a one two punch with Tyler Algier also on the roster. They looked as advertised in week one against Carolina. We know that they're good. I get that. But from your perspective, as somebody who was tasked with stopping guys like this for a long time, uh, is, I mean, first of all, is is there something specific you can do to key on a guy with vision and ability like Bijan Robinson? And then building off of that, when you're facing two different guys with two distinct styles, uh, what are your preparations as a linebacker like for a matchup like this? Ooh. Oh, man, you, you just threw a lot at me, Dave. <laughs> so, you know, the, the first part is uh, answering about Bijan and you mentioned uh, his abilities. The reason he was a top 10 pick is because he has abilities you can't coach. So let's just start there. I can be a linebacker and be in position and do everything I'm supposed to do and make all my reads and yada, 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 yada. He can make you miss in the hole like that. There's no coaching, right? You you can't coach that. He has the vision. He understands if the hole is supposed to be here and I need to set up my blocks as a rookie, he already knows I have to now stretch the play a little bit longer, which makes me as a linebacker stretch a little bit longer. And then he cuts right back where I was. You know, the, these things are uh, these traits. You can't coach uh, a running back to do. They either have it or they don't. And he definitely has. It. And it's the reason why he's the number seven pick in the draft. And so when I look at someone like him and you're asking me, how do I defend that? I, I, I frankly don't defend it. What I do is I get the rest of my guys. I got 10 other guys and we got to rally to them. Right. And so we say, all right, look, stay in your gap, gang tackle. You know, that's the way that we're going to stop this guy. We don't want to leave anybody one on one in the open field or in the hole to try to make a tackle because he's making you miss. 
And he's done it time in and time out in college, and he's doing it again for the Falcons. So, you know, that's always going to be a tough matchup. And then you bring in Algier to quote unquote spell Bijan, right? And then all of a sudden, you got this like 230 pound wrecking ball that's running <laughs> linebackers over. He's running safeties over. So, you know, I, I, I'm saying all this to tell you that it would be one big headache. And I'm so glad that I don't have to do any of that anymore. That's what I'm telling you. It's a, it's a lot more fun to have a bird's eye view of it all happening, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot easier to say, oh, oh, man, he ran him <laughs> over as opposed to the one being ran over. So <laughs> uh, give yourself some credit. You did plenty of running over in your own right. I am curious, though. So the running backs get all the attention. But I'm, I'm curious about Atlanta's offensive line as well. This is a pretty talented unit. Uh, you know, they, they pay Chris Lindstrom this offseason, a, a very large contract. And clearly, the Falcons are really good at running the ball. They were good at it before Bijan Robinson even got there. But they did give up four sacks in this game against Carolina. I'm curious if you've seen anything in terms of pass protection. Obviously, that was a problem uh, for the bears facing this green Bay front. What do you expect to see in that matchup this week? You know, I would say the good is that it wasn't communication issues. The bad is that it wasn't communication issues, right? The, the, there were one-on-one matchups that I saw, uh, Burns, let's first give Brian Burns, Carolina Panthers defensive end, outside linebacker, give him a, a lot of credit. He had a heck of a game. Uh, he got after it. And to be honest, I can't tell you if the O-line was ready for the speed of a Brian Burns. He was coming off the ball. He was very explosive. Uh, he has a, a very good uh, pass rush move. And so th they just might not have been ready for it. I, I can't, not going to try to defend them. Now, that being said, you got that under, it is what it is. That's out there. You got that now on film. And hopefully you can, as an offensive line, you can figure out what you need to do this week to either get your feet better, get your hands better, or provide some help over to those tackle positions and uh, then see what happens from there. So I would say, you know, with uh, Green Bay and, you know, you hear it kind of every week, but uh, it's ever so important this time. You stop the run, you have a really, really good chance of getting after the quarterback. So if I'm Green Bay, load up on stopping the run. I mean, what's the point of hiding your eighth man in the box? Just bring them down. Bring the safeties down. Go eight guys in the box, nine in the box if you have to. Stop the run because in obvious passing situations, you got a Preston Smith. You got guys that can rush a passer, and you'll have a good shot of getting home. It's a perfect segue for the last thing I want to ask you about, because if, if I've got you here, I want to talk about linebackers. And one of my favorite low key storylines uh, in the NFL recently is Devondre Campbell. Uh, actually, speaking of the Falcons, he starts his career in Atlanta, kind of bounces around a little bit. The Packers pick him up a couple years ago, almost as an afterthought, and he's an all pro. Uh, and, and clearly, I mean, he's going to be a huge part of stopping this Atlanta rushing attack. I'm just curious uh, what, what you see about his game, what you like about his game that's enabled him uh, to really, to really elevate his level of play since he got to green Bay. You know, Dave, the first thing I would go back to is the coaching and I bring up the coaching for a reason. Joe Barry 
defensive coordinator for the Packers. He was actually trying to draft me way back when in the Stone Ages, 2004, <laughs> when he was over at Tampa. And uh, I remember Joe looking and saying, you know, I love you at middle linebacker, but I'm going to play you at outside and I want you to I want to gear the defense for you in a certain way. And, you know, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm here to play football. And then obviously I get drafted by the Jets. The rest is history. But I always remember that because when I saw Joe, uh, you know, after a game periodically and even uh, now as a defensive coordinator, he always talks about how he would have had such an awesome defense for me had he been able to draft me and then put me on the outside like he wanted and do all these cool things. And so when I look at uh, Campbell, I'm looking at a guy that got put into, I, I'm, when I say ideal situation, mm-hmm. you have a coach that believes in him and Joe and Joe Barry. You have the defensive front that is relentless. They're going to keep guys off of them. And then you have now the confidence in Devondre Campbell and you have the, the instincts and the ability. So you're looking at a guy, he bounced around. Uh, frankly, he was out of position or he wasn't being coached properly because all of a sudden you get him in the right scenario. And as you said, you got an all pro stud at linebacker. And I love how aggressive he is. I love how physical he is. He can cover. And as I said, Joe Barry makes it a point to put him in the right situations and he has flourished ever since. So, you know, I love stories like that because you hear so often, you know, the NFL is a business, the NFL is a business, which obviously it is. But there are times, more times than not, that you have coaches that really take a hard look at players. They figure out what is the best for that player. They get them in that position. And that's exactly what they did at Green Bay for Campbell. Absolutely. And look, I mean, for for so many years, you had Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You had Matt Ryan and Julio Jones in Atlanta. Like five years ago, you would have said this is like a high flying passing attack type of game. I have a feeling you're going to be in for a very old school slobber knocker type of football game. I'm very excited to watch it. Uh, Best of luck on the call, Jonathan. I really appreciate the time, man. Uh, Thanks, Dave. Looking forward to doing it again. Thanks again to Jonathan Vilma for the time. I didn't make a pick while I was talking to him. He's calling the game after all, but I feel so good about this Green Bay team. I know they're on the road for the second straight week. I know Jordan Love's only making his third NFL start, but maybe I'm overreacting. I just feel like there's a lot more I can trust with the Packers than the Falcons. I don't know if the Falcons defense got as good of a test in Carolina as they'll get this week. And I trust what I saw from Jordan Love a heck of a lot more than what the Falcons were able to put together with Desmond Ritter. So as always, I reserve the right to be wrong, but I'm feeling good about Green Bay in like a 23 to 19 win in this game to improve to 2-0. Let's take it over to one of the best games of the early window, or at least looks that way. I, I should I should say it looks that way. Week one taught us that it doesn't always go according to script, but the Baltimore Ravens traveling to Cincinnati for a division rivalry game against the Bengals. How about this for the Bengals? You open the season on the road against two of your division rivals, the two best division rivals in your division. No offense to the Steelers. First of all, let's dispense with this myth that games are must win in week two. You know, I, I think there's always drama surrounding these situations like, oh my God, the Bengals might fall into an O2 hole. They'll never climb out of it. They climbed out of an O2 hole literally last year. 
They started the season 0-2. They were 5-4 and at the bye. And then they finished the season 12-4. and Like, it is possible to figure things out, to have things click later in the year. And then on the flip side of things, the Ravens started the season 6-3. and At times, looked like one of the most unstoppable offenses in the league. They were 9-4 and at the bye. And they finished 10 and seven. They wind up meeting in the playoffs. The Bengals win a nail biter. I know Lamar Jackson was hurt. The point is nothing about early September is indicative of where any team is going to go for better or for worse. So settle in for what I think is going to be a really fun matchup. I don't think it writes the story on either team's season. And for that matter, good for the ba- uh, for the Ravens, because it looks like they're going to be up against it in this game. I feel like injuries are going to be a theme of these previews and I'm sorry, but it's just such a crucial element of these games. When you consider what Baltimore looks likely to not have, they already lost JK Dobbins in the season opener star running back out for the season with an Achilles still not sure about the status of their star cornerback. Marlon Humphrey might play, might not Tyler Linderbaum is banged up the young center. Ronnie Stanley, your talented but injury-prone left tackle, also banged up. And your big-time safety, Marcus Williams, the vet safety, all banged up, all might miss. And at the very least, a few of them will miss. That is a tough pill to swallow considering the Bengals seem to be about as healthy as possible and have a bad taste in their mouth from only scoring three points in Cleveland last weekend. Not saying that is the only factor to consider, but it sure weighs heavily in your mind when you're talking about a battle of heavyweights for my money. I'm curious about the Bengals offensive line. They got beat to hell by Cleveland last weekend. Zadarius Smith and miles Garrett just made him a punching bag. Adding Orlando Brown in the off season did not really seem to do a whole lot for Cincinnati, but that is a heck of a talented pass rush duo. Jim Schwartz, the DC in Cleveland is famous for his, for his pressure, for his ability to generate pass rush. I don't know that the Ravens can match that production. We talked in the preseason about the lack of a, of a true star pass rusher. David Ajabo, the second round draft pick, maybe he can grow into that. There's definitely talented players on this team, but I don't know that you No, I don't, not that I don't know. I know you don't have a Miles Garrett or a Zadarius Smith here. Looking at the matchup against the Texans, the Ravens are charted with 14 pressures of CJ Stroud on 44 dropbacks. Credit to them, they did turn 14 pressures into five sacks. But that is rookie CJ Stroud making his first career start on the road in Baltimore. It's fair to wonder how much of that is Stroud's indecisiveness not recognizing coverages, not dealing with the situation very well. And then you think about the fact that they'll be going against Joe Burrow. And I wonder how well they replicate that. I do. I do think Burrow will have more time to throw, or at the very least Burrow will be more capable of manipulating the pocket, getting away from pressure, stepping up, hitting his throws. And if the Baltimore secondary is as beat up as it looks during the week, his receivers are going to be open. My big question for the Bengals is this is just a completely different animal than what they're used to with the Baltimore Ravens. Like for years now, you can count on the Ravens being this 
team that's going to come in and use two or three tight ends. They've got a 300 pound fullback. They're going to pound it right at you. It's a new age in Baltimore. Clearly, if last week was any indicator, the Ravens ran 11 personnel. That's three wide receivers, 11, one running back, one tight end. They used three wide receivers on 63% of their snaps last week. Like this is now a much more traditional wide open NFL offense. Zay flowers, nine targets for 78 yards. Odell Beckham is still in the mix. Not that the, the Bengals don't have the personnel in the secondary. They have good corners, but this is going to be more of a test of their pass defense than what they're used to from the Ravens. Now keep in mind also both of their safe safeties from last year, Von Bell and Jesse Bates are gone. This could be a little bit more of a challenge for them. It could be, um, you know, a learning, a learning process, especially when you consider they played week one in a rainstorm. It's not like anybody in that Cleveland Cincinnati game was lighting up the passing yards. So this is a big chance for the Ravens to get more comfortable in their passing offense. We'll see how the Cincinnati secondary handles it. I'm taking the Bengals. I'm sorry. For all the reasons I just said, I think Joe Burrow is going to have better luck with the pass rush. I'm taking the Bengals 31-27. But again, I'm very excited to see this Baltimore offense continue to grow. Hopefully their offensive line is healthy enough to buy Lamar Jackson some time. I said 31-27. That, if that comes true, it's going to be a hell of an entertaining game. But give me the Bengals to stay out of the 0-2 hole. It's a big week for the AFC North. There's two really interesting matchups. One of them, we're going to have to wait till Monday night, but Browns at Steelers is certainly worth talking about after what happened last week. For me, along with Rams and Seahawks, Browns and Steelers is the game that's dealing with the biggest expectation flip, like the biggest freak out about, oh my God, maybe we were wrong about these teams. Rams look amazing against Seattle. Seattle now everybody feels terrible about. It's the same thing here. The Browns basically blank the Bengals 24, three kicked up snot out of them. Come out of nowhere team, you know, team that nobody's really talking about all of a sudden looks really good against one of the AFC favorites opposite for the Steelers. Obviously preseason darlings undefeated in the preseason. Kenny Pickett is the next big thing. Just wiped off the field in Pittsburgh by San Francisco 30 to seven Steelers are writing thank you notes to the giants for making people forget about how bad they got their butts beat. But we know week one can be a bit of a mirage. Like we know expectations get subverted all the time. It's Mike Tomlin. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers playing a home game. By the way, they, they don't perform poorly at home evidenced by the fact that this 23 point loss to the 49ers is the worst in team history. So it's, it's, it's very fair to expect Pittsburgh to bounce back at the same time. What an opportunity for Cleveland. You realize this. I know there was a brief period of time where the Browns didn't exist, but even still, if the Browns win this game, they will be two and zero for the first time since 1993. So that's the type of excitement that's going on in Cleveland. Only eight guys on the Browns roster were even alive in 1993. That makes me feel old. Fortunately for Pittsburgh, I'm going to step out on a limb. I'm, I'm going to say it. There's no way they can look as bad as they did Sunday against San Francisco. That, like that's, that is a prime example of 
your team falling apart while the Niners are clicking on all cylinders. I know everything I just said about the Browns pass rush about the Browns defense is still true, but even still with a week to review your, you know, self scout, your own tape work on what, what fell apart. I trust the Steelers to get it going in the right direction. Definitely not saying that it's going to work. I'm, I'm concerned about this Pittsburgh offense. First of all, Deontay Johnson, their number one wide receiver is dealing with a hamstring issue. We'll see if he plays. Unfortunately, it's, it's a Monday game. So over the weekend, keep an eye on that injury report. If you're, if you've got him in fantasy, keep a close eye on what's coming out of Pittsburgh. We'll see if he's able to go. If he's not, this is not a receiver core that inspires a lot of confidence. George Pickens and Allen Robinson potentially being asked to do a lot of heavy list lifting against the talented secondary. And on top of that, I feel like Matt Canada's offense is so reliant on at least the threat of the run working that it's going to make life difficult on Kenny Pickett if it's not. Now, Najee Harris did play well during the part of that game that was competitive. 5.2 yards a carry on the short amount of carries that he got because the game got out of hand really quickly. But this Browns defense, again, the Browns were two in run stuff win rate. They were the second best defense in the league last week at stuffing the run, at stopping the Bengals from, move, from running the ball. The Steelers were 31st. The Steelers got whipped in the trenches last weekend, and the Browns absolutely are capable of doing that to them as well. Something to watch on the flip side. Again, I feel like if this sounds really doom and gloom for you Steelers fans, I think the most interesting matchup of this game works in the Steelers favor in a big way. If you didn't hear Jack Conklin, the right tackle in Cleveland out for the year with an ACL, unfortunately he got hurt in, in week one down for the season, his replacement, Dewan Jones, one of the most massive players in the NFL, the rookie out of Ohio state fourth round pick six, eight, three seventy four. You're, you're, you're going to know who he is on the field. Just look at the huddle. You're going to say, Oh, that's Dewan Jones. The guy that's tired, towering over even all of the other NFL players. He gets his first career start and you know who he's likely to see a lot of guy by the name of TJ Watt. So that is a matchup that can wildly swing this in Pittsburgh's favor. You can imagine a strip sack or, or a bull rush that blows a play up uh, just absolutely derails the Browns plans. All of that said, I trust more about what the Browns are than the Steelers cam Hayward for Pittsburgh on IR already as well. It seems like so many good players have already been lost for the year. It's a real bummer. It's an, it's a right of September. I get it. it still sucks. But I trust more about what the Browns are. I like their defense a lot. I don't know what to make of Deshaun Watson. We'll see. Maybe the conditions will be more favorable on Monday night than they were last week. But we know the Browns can run the ball. We know their defense is ferocious. I trust that a little bit more than what we saw from the Pittsburgh offense, at least so far. I know it's one week. That's been a theme for the show. But watching what Pittsburgh put together against the talented defense doesn't make me feel good that they'll have more success against a similarly talented defense. So I got the Browns. It is a division game. It, I, I, I think it's close. I'm calling it 21 17, but I'm calling the Browns to be two and zero for the first time since 1993, which sounds crazy to even say out loud.
One more big one to look at. Of course, it's my specialty. Of course, we were going to talk about Cowboys Jets. Took on a completely different flavor with the Aaron Rodgers injury, but there's still plenty of intrigue. I brought in my good friend, Fox Sports's AFC East writer, Henry McKenna, to break down all of the intricacies of this matchup in Dallas. Henry, I got to tell you, I'm not surprised to be talking to you ahead of this week two game between the Cowboys and Jets, but I am surprised at the circumstances. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know many people that would have predicted we'd be on to the Zach Wilson experience so soon in week two. Before we dive into this, can you just give me a sense of, you know, we know what the vibes were right off of the Aaron Rodgers injury, but now that the page is inevitably turning to this matchup. What are the vibes in New York? What are the vibes around this team right now? Yeah, I, I think Robert Sala actually does a really good job of managing expectations, uh, which he actually sets as his own extremely high as anyone who saw hard knocks uh, probably observed, uh, but he's, he's a rah, rah guy. Uh, he's very serious. Um, and I think he knows how to keep them sort of like with their eye on the prize. So they're pushing Zach Wilson extremely hard in that organization uh, for better and for worse, in my opinion, mostly for worse. Um, but it's they're They know that their hopes rest upon basically getting Zach Wilson into a good headspace to, to a point where he can manage this offense. And I think that means the whole locker room rallying around him, which we've seen um, basically since Rogers went down, honestly. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's just kind of like, there was a shell shocked vibe in the locker room that night. Um, people were saying the right things mostly um, including Jordan Whitehead, who I asked, you know, what, given how much they talked about championship, championship, championship in training camp, whether that was still kind of the mentality that they'd have. And he was like, yeah, Zach Wilson could start for any team. And I was like, could he though? I don't know. So I think there's a blind optimism happening in, in New York. We will get into the football side of what's waiting for Zach in a minute. But for me, for my, like my opinion, looking at this on paper, regardless, honestly, of who's playing quarterback for the jets and the Cowboys to a different degree, this is a story of two of the best defensive fronts in football having a chance to go against each other. We saw the jets offensive line, not exactly inspiring in on Monday night football against Buffalo uh, and the Dallas offensive line dealing with at least one injury right now. Is there a matchup on either one of these fronts? Uh, that's especially interesting to you uh, to see, you know, which of these teams is going to win the pressure battle. Yeah, I mean, anytime Quentin Williams is on the field, I'm going to be watching him. That's just kind of my AFC East uh, take. And so I, I want to see how he moves along the interior of that offensive slash defensive line, where he's attacking, trying to get into the backfield. And the other thing, obviously, you know, Micah Parsons, uh, what is he going to do? How much damage can he do to this Jets uh, offensive line? The tackles, both dealing with injuries, managing um, some stuff that's lingered, uh, whether it's Dwayne Brown dealing with a shoulder, whether it's Makai Becton dealing with a knee. So both of them have uh, limitations. And obviously that's the kind of thing that, that could easily get lit up by the Cowboys. I mean, certainly 
think, think just to the Aaron Rodgers injury. Uh, not long after his injury happened, there was sort of a shot across the bow. Uh, an anonymous source said that Aaron Rodgers, or told the Athletic, that Aaron Rodgers had previously been discontent with the amount of cut blocks they'd put into the offense. It's a ticky-tack thing, but cut blocks are setups for a quick passing attack, right? And Rodgers likes to be a little bit more creative. So if you're going to do a cut block, it really eliminates Rodgers' ability to hold the ball past like 2.5 seconds. Cut block is like an offensive lineman throws himself at a defensive lineman's legs. The defensive lineman is kind of like frozen there in place, but then he actually gets a free rush. So, you know, Rodgers has to get rid of the ball. Well, that is the kind of play that led to Rodgers getting uh, his Achilles torn. So uh, um, we've seen breakdowns on that offensive line on the edge uh, last week, and it was devastatingly costly. So I think that will be another yet again uh, thing to watch. Just maybe even a lot of Zach Wilson running backward, which we also saw a lot of last week. I don't know if that would go well for him. I mean, it didn't really go that well for him against the bills either, but when you talk about some of the closing speed on this Dallas defense, and that's, that's where I wanted to go next. I would love to get your perspective. I'm, I'm way too close to the Cowboys. It's been my job for way too long. I've been close to that team for too many years, but with what we saw on Sunday against the giants, just one of the, one of the most thorough demolitions I've ever seen of an NFL offense. What is your impression of how good this Dallas defense can be? Because I mean, it's certainly, it showed some scary, scary potential, maybe even Super Bowl potential uh, going against the giants the other night. Yeah, I, I really, I wasn't a huge believer in Dallas until I saw that game. And, and I, and I have to like kind of caution my belief in them still, because as much as I love Ryan Dayball, and um, I think that that Giants team could be much better than they appeared in week one. I think that 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 defense in Dallas all of a sudden gives me a sense of confidence in picking them maybe to get out of their Well, not just get out of their division, but get out of their conference, maybe maybe be a Super Bowl team um, just because we've known that their offense has been good, maybe sometimes great, but sort of like injuries come at the wrong moment. If you have a good defense on the other side of that ball, all of a sudden it helps erase a lot of the problems that they've been having. It creates a lot of consistency for a team that feels fiercely inconsistent over the last few years. So I think maybe, you know, a top five, I don't know, top top six, seven defense in Dallas, it, it seems perfectly possible. And if so, could help fuel them out of, otherwise weak NFC. Okay. So I want to state for the record. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I reserve the right to eat crow, but I'm not a, I'm not a believer in the Zach Wilson Renaissance. I'm not buying that this is going to go the way the jets want it to, but I think we both agree on a short week coming off Monday night football. You don't really have a choice other than Zach Wilson. And you alluded this alluded to this a minute ago in terms of maybe they utilize cut blocking again. Maybe they try to get Zach Wilson the hell out of the pocket as quickly as possible. But if this is going to be successful, what, what might we see from the jets offense to try to make this easy on Zach Wilson, or I should say easier really. 
A lot of screens, I think. A big use of, of Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. And then once the Cowboys jump on that, which will probably start on the first play, um, try and open up easy, quick game, you know, quick outs to Garrett Wilson. Um, I, I, the truth is that when Zach Wilson gets a little yippy and when he starts to miss easy throws, it's it snowballs. So he starts to be worse and worse, and then he can't see the defense, and then he can't stop himself from making mistakes or from turfing the ball or from throwing it out of bounds. And it renders the Jets offense completely ineffective. What I couldn't believe I saw the Jets doing last week against the Bills, or I guess Monday against the Bills, was uh, not just running it on every play. (laughs) I mean, I know that sounds like crazy in today's NFL, but I do think that they need to utilize the run game at a much higher rate than they did on Monday night. Like, like they were passing on first downs <laughs> and, yeah. and like, that's not a, I, I don't know. Zach Wilson is not a guy not a recipe for and, success. Right. Right. And in the red zone, I mean, they threw it to Garrett Wilson, which I mean, Garrett Wilson did Garrett Wilson stuff, uh, but he had to stop an interception before making the touchdown uh, because Zach Wilson threw the ball. I think it was Tredavious white in coverage, but he threw it to Tredavious white. So Garrett Wilson was like reaching around to get the ball, tipping it back to himself, and then he gets the touchdown. Remarkable play by the receiver. It had to be remarkable because of the quarterback. I just think run-focused run, run focused and uh, screen-focused and quick game-focused just to try and get Zach Wilson making quick decisions uh, and trying to highlight his playmakers rather than the times where he has to think in the pocket because then he starts running backwards and big losses or interceptions happen. I think it's a great point, and – If you're a Jets fan and we're making you feel like your team doesn't have a chance, keep this in mind. The Cowboys struggled pretty decently against the run last year. They didn't look great in the early going of this week one game against the Giants. Obviously, the game got away from them and the Giants had to stop running the ball. But when it was close and Saquon Barkley could be involved, they had some success. So looking at what Brees Hall did against the Bills, I do think there's there's an element there where you could find success. Like Henry said, either just pounding the rock or yeah, take advantage of that Dallas aggressiveness, maybe some delayed screens, maybe even like a tight end screen, something that's slow developing that, you know, baits the defense to the wrong side of the field. I would venture to guess. I hate to be overly confident, but I feel like that's almost Zach Wilson's only hope against the defense with this much firepower. Henry, I appreciate it before I get you out of here. We're making picks all season on this show. I think the spread is plus uh, Jets plus nine and a half. You can go with the spread. You can go straight up however you want to do it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we take the, I think we take Jets to cover. Um, And here's why, as much as I ripped Zach Wilson, um, I think that defense is like preposterously good. Um, and we did kind of see a Josh Allen meltdown on the other side of the ball. So maybe there was a little bit too much help from the Buffalo Bills. It's sort of, it's sort of like unlike that, that um, where there were almost like unforced errors, you know, from yeah. Buffalo. And sure. so it's harder to judge just how good the Jets defense is. Whereas Dallas's defense, there were a lot of forced errors, but like, so, but I still think the Jets defense is like top five, kind of maybe even I might be too AFC East focused here, but maybe even top three. 
So if they can really limit Dallas's scoring like they did with the Bills, they can generate op- opportunistic turnovers. I think they stay within uh, that spread. So give me Jets, Jets to cover. I see this as a classic game where a fantastic defense can keep it close for three, maybe even three right. and a half quarters. I've got Dallas winning 24 nine, but my guess okay. is my, my guess is that it's going to be like 16 or 17 to nine with eight minutes to play though, you know, and then Dallas yeah. puts it away late. That that's my guess. Yeah. I cannot wait. Forget about Zach Wilson. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but the chess matches between these two defense and the collect collective right. talent that those two groups have. I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch Henry. Thank you so much for the time, my man. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much again to Henry. All right. By my math, we have 11 more games to cover and not a whole lot of show left to do it. I'm trying to get you on with your day, get you ready for week two as concisely, as quickly, as efficiently as possible. So if you're new to the show, this is what we're doing here at the end of the preview. I'm going to take you through all 11 of the remaining games, the rest of the Sunday slate and the other Monday night game as quickly as I can, as concisely as I can. You've got things to do. You've got errands to run. You can't be listening to me drone on all day. So my wonderful producers are going to give me three and a half minutes. If you're watching the show, you'll, you will be able to see the clock. If you're listening to the show, you'll hear me get more frantic and out of breath as I go. I'm sure. So 11 games, three and a half minutes. We'll get you through this week to slate. If I can get the clock on the screen and if I can get it started, let's go starting with the Seahawks at the lions. I've been saying it. The golden rule of week two is not to overreact to week one. I'm breaking the golden rule because it looks like Seattle's going to be without both of their starting offensive tackles, Charles cross and Abe Lucas. Lucas is definitely out. Cross is very likely to miss. I'm not touching this. We saw what the Detroit pass rush did against Kansas city last week. I think they'll do it again. I am interested to see if Devon Witherspoon and Jamal Adams play for the Seattle defense might look a little bit better with those two in the lineup. Not enough to pick, convince me to pick Seattle. I'm taking Detroit 26, 17 Raiders at bills, Buffalo find Max Crosby and double him. If you can do that, I think you'll be fine. I think Josh Allen bounces back in a big way. Bills 27 Raiders, 14 Colts at Texans. Love Anthony Richardson. Love him. Played great in week one. I think I like the Texans overall team slightly more and they're at home. Give me CJ Stroud to get his first career dub over the Colts. 1917 chiefs at Jags. My whole body is screaming out to take the Jags. They were my preseason one seed in the AFC. I've got Trevor Lawrence winning MVP. I'll be damned if I'm going to bet against Pat Mahomes. Absolutely not. Not with Chris Jones back in the lineup, not with Travis Kelsey trending toward playing in this game. Looks like his knees on the mend. I want to be different and take Jacksonville so bad. I'm not doing it. Kansas city, 27 Jacksonville, 22 bears at bucks. Again, I'm going to buy the hype on week one and say, my goodness, did the bears look bad in that matchup against the Buccaneers? I, I I'm just not a believer. Todd Bowles knows how to coach a defense. I think he's going to make life miserable on Justin Fields blitzing him, all that good stuff. If he can fluster Kirk cousins, he can fluster Justin Fields. I got bucks, 20 bears, 14 bucks, starting two and oh, who saw that chargers at Titans repeat of the char of the Titans saints game. I think Titans defense is going to make life miserable on Justin Herbert. If I had to guess, they're not going to run the ball as well, especially if Austin Eckler's injured, 
I'm still taking the Chargers to win 24-14. Sloppy, though. Giants, I'm not thinking too hard about the Giants beating the Cardinals. If they can't do it, we got to reevaluate everything we think about the Giants. I got the Giants by 17. 49ers, Rams. Cool story, Rams. You're not going to get me to take the bait, not with the Niners coming to town. It's not even going to be a home game for the Rams. If you've ever seen the Niners play in L.A., there's going to be a lot of red at SoFi Stadium. Niners 28, Rams 16. Commanders at Broncos. I don't trust Sam Howell on the road to, to win this game. The Broncos defense has talent. I don't trust Russell Wilson that much either, but give me the more experienced quarterback at home. I know I said that about the Raiders game. Just go with me here. I got the Broncos winning by three Dolphins Patriots sneaky, sneaky pick for, for game of the week. We saw what the Dolphins offense did. Patriots Eagles was such a fun chess match last week. I see something similar here. Bill Belichick is going to have something for Tua Tungavailoa. The game is in Foxborough, but I got the Dolphins winning by seven. I am a big believer in this offense. Give me the Dolphins on the road. A 2-0 road start. Not bad at all. Finishing it up, the other Monday night game, Saints at Panthers. Charlotte has not been a fun place for the Saints. They've lost their last two games there. But again, I'm so scared by what I saw from that Panthers offense. I think the Saints find a way to get it done. I don't think they feel very good about it, just like last week. But 2-0 is 2-0. Woo! I, did, I, I think I was a few seconds over, but but I made it. That covers us for week two. Got another fun, fun slate of games. Hopefully it's as unpredictable and entertaining as week one was. Regardless, I will be here to break it all down and walk you through it starting Monday morning. Can't wait, guys. This is so much fun. Thank you for listening. I'll catch y'all next time.